Hello and thank you for tuning in to The Sex Lives of Others, the podcast about what sex is actually like for other people. Every week I'm going to be speaking to someone about their love life to try and open up our understanding of what it all means. This week I'm talking to my friend Max about erectile dysfunction. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to episode two of The Sex Lives of Others. My name is Frank, your host, and I'm joined by my very good friend, Max. Hello, Max. Hello, mate. How's it going? Very good, thanks. Max and I met at university a couple of years ago, and we've been friends ever since. Max, can you just give us a little rundown of who you are and what you look like? As you know, I'm Max, uh, 24 years old, currently living in Berlin, working as a writer. And how would I describe how I look? Six foot one. My mother is Indian and my dad is English, and that factors into what I look like. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I've uh, I've often been described as uh, looking like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, which has been a massive (laughs) boost to my ego. (laughs) What do you mean? Like, what do I look like? Oh, just so people can picture you. But I think you've done a great job. Can we do it again? No, that was good. I think that was actually quite good. That's too self-deprecating. No, that's we like self-deprecating. That, that's kind of what we're about here. For those of you, for those of you that don't know me, um, I am 25 and I'm a similar build to Max. And if Max is comparing himself to Dwayne the Rock Johnson, I'd like to compare myself to Paolo Maldini, the Italian centre back. So you can Google those two people, listeners, and you have a really accurate, <laughs> accurate depiction of uh, of who's who's talking to you right now. So what we wanted to do today <laughs> was was talk about um, erectile dysfunction, hopefully in not too serious a way. Talk about our experience with it, being as honest as we can, because it is something that's happening more and more. According to a study from the Journal of Sexual Medicine. Over the last two or three decades, ED rates have gone up, especially amongst younger men. And apparently now, one in every four new erectile dysfunction patients is under 40 years old. According to the Journal of Adolescent Health, 30% of young men have erectile dysfunction. There's a lot of information out there about the causes. A lot of people have talked about the fact that our generation watches a lot more porn than other people and... It's kind of widely known, the fact that our generation is having less sex than generations previous. So just to kick off, Max, do you mind just telling us your experience very briefly with erectile dysfunction, your relationship with it? I think with with me, erectile dysfunction was just straight off the, off the bat. It was a problem for me. My first sexual experience, I was unable to to get an erection and then it it really colored my experiences going forward and it was always then something that was on like to varying degrees on my mind dealing with it for the past five five years it's now to the point where it's it's much better and i've gotten through the worst of it but there have been quite a few experiences where i think this uh this could be a lot better if i could (laughs) if i could perform (laughs) so i should i should just say we've both got over the worst of it now so we can kind of laugh at it a bit right yeah sure but then i completely get why people would be listening to this and not laughing and just thinking this is actually still a pretty big problem for me and i feel for you you can uh overcome it <laughs> you're an inspiration right yeah it first happened to me when i was 19 i was in thailand with a girl that i really fancied and the moron that i was 
back then, six years ago, I decided to put on some really loud drum and bass. What song was it? I'm glad to say that I can't remember. <laughs> so I put on some drum and bass. We were about to have sex and it just all fell away. But we'll talk about that later. Do you think having it has changed your relationship with sex? Yeah, definitely. Like I said, it's always something that is on my mind when I'm about to have sex or there's the potential chance of it happening. There's just this little voice that rears its head says, oh yeah, but what if you can't get it up? And then I have to sort of quiet that voice. So I think, whereas it's not as bad as it used to be, it's something that I, I think about. One of the hardest things is potentially the acceptance. I definitely romanticized my life before that fateful day. I, I pictured myself as, a, as someone that had no problems when it came to sex, and I can't actually remember anymore if that's the case or not. I'm sure it wasn't, but it definitely got way more complicated after it, after the first time I lost my erection, to put it bluntly. Sex just became really complicated all of a sudden, especially as a, for, for a 19-year-old. Part of your identity is like based on this newfound sexual discovery that's going on, this kind of this amazing awakening. And then to have that taken away from you so cruelly does implicitly change the, your relationship with yourself and with sex, right? In your case, it was it was cruelly taken away from you in this inability to perform when you were 19 in Thailand. Does that, is that what is that how I just made it sound? Slightly. <laughs> oh, God. So, I, like, I was kind of young and enjoying having... Not, re- not, not massively regularly. Okay. But, like, I'd had a girlfriend by that time and we'd been together for a year and, and I'd very much enjoyed that kind of sexual awakening. Yeah. And then I'd... Not madly, but, like, I was kind of sexually active mm. in an uncomplicated fashion. Mm-hmm. In speaking to people about the, about doing this little podcast, a lot of the girls that we were speaking to were basically saying, like, why is it such a big deal? What's the problem? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of it's actually just the, the feeling of, like, that feeling of impotence. It's such a, like, medieval shaming concept. Do you know what I mean? I just picture, like, impotence being something, being leveled at kings like in, guy, like, the 11th century. Some guy's, like, in the, the stockade, and he's just having rotten cabbage thrown at him, and he's like, he's been accused of impotence. <laughs> Jump off his testicles. <laughs> Should we walk through a hypothetical situation? Yeah. So in this situation, picture yourself as a man, a young man. What's playing? Drum and bass? Definitely not drum and bass. <laughs> um, some Jason Derulo okay. is playing. That kind of a joint. Yeah, yeah. You meet someone. Yeah. You, you start talking. Mm-hmm. But at this point, when you're talking to this person, a potential sexual partner... Uh-huh. Are you thinking about it at all at that point? I suppose on some level, because if I initiated the conversation on the basis of being attracted to them, but it's not, I'm far from thinking, will I be able to perform later? Later we should talk about one night stands. Sure. Such a cliche, hypothetical, but okay, you're dancing and you have some alcoholic or non-alcoholic drinks with each other and you've been hanging out for like two hours in the club at this point. Mm. How are you feeling now? I guess I'm thinking, all right, so this is where we're still hanging out. This is probably, have we kissed? Okay, you kiss. Now how are you feeling? In previous experience when I've been there, I probably have at that point thought, all right, this is now not going to be a, an ordeal, but it's going to be like something. I'm sure, I'm sure I've already been there before and thought, okay, what, what can I say to her if, if this doesn't work later? Yes, man. That is so, yes. 
one night stands now are just an, they just are an ordeal mm. even though i like to think that i've kind of got over the worst of this one night stands are just unpleasant and i don't know if it, that's like it's a it's a good thing to have had that have that realization that one night stands in themselves aren't very nice or if it's just been imposed upon me by like erectile dysfunction yeah. but regardless as you say before the prospect of any kind of sexual relationship in in one of our homes I'm already thinking, okay, fuck, what's my excuse going to be? Which is gives a bit of a window into how much it plagues the psyche, right? Yeah, and also it becomes such a self-fulfilling prophecy in that you have already established that you're going to provide an excuse. It's such a, it's a reality in your mind. So I think at that point in this hypothetical situation, I'm, I'm already thinking, all right, this is going to be a potential issue. Okay, and so you mm. say, do you want to get a taxi back to mine or yours or whatever? And you're in the taxi. Yeah. How do you feel in the taxi? Because for me, for me personally, it's places like the taxi or like having a herb tea before anything happens at, at their house. That's when I'm almost most nervous. Because at this point, it's still all to play for in theory in terms of whether it's going to work. Mm. But you're also fighting off a, a feeling of just like, this is going to be another horrific few hours of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think when I'm in the taxi, I mean, this happened to me about four weeks ago. It was date number three. I asked if this girl would like to come back to my place for a cup of tea. And she said yes. And we were in the taxi on the way back to mine. I was at no point thinking, how is this going to work later? Am I going to be able to perform? When we got back and she was actually in my apartment and we were having the cup of tea, then I thought, okay, crap, this is, this is going to happen. I need to be so comfortable with that person. I'm so rarely having sex with someone on the first date. I don't go on many dates. I don't have that much sex. Mm. But it is even rarer that I go on a, a first date with someone like, and I have sex with them on the first night. Obviously, they have a say, of course. But just from my side, mm. it's not it's not weird for me to go on six or seven dates before we kiss. Yeah, That's definitely changed since D-Day. E-D-D. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're in the bedroom. The so bedroom. There is a cacophony of shrieks going on in my head at this point i'm already thinking okay why haven't i got a boner the fact that i haven't got a boner early when the prospect of sex in itself should be exciting enough yeah is already in my weird warped mind a massive warning sign alarm bells are already going off mm. why isn't it working what's going on it just so quickly spirals i mean i've been in situation i don't wait how <laughs> I don't know how explicit to be in this. I've been making out with a girl, caressing her with my left hand, and then with my right hand trying to like stimulate myself. <laughs> yeah. Just been like, come on, why is it not working? Sometimes this happens where a girl will just look down and just see me sort of fondling myself. <laughs> and then I'm being like, what are you, uh, what the hell's going on? What are you doing? I'm so unsure of what normalness is. It's like a normal dude, insanely hard at this point, ready to roll. I, I just don't know anymore. I can't remember a time when I wasn't questioning what was happening, so I don't know what normal C is. This is why we need a third guest on here who's, you know, rock hard and <laughs> never has a problem with this kind of stuff. We need Hank sitting across us who's just like, guys, giving just, us the baseline. Okay, so just let's get back to this. Okay, so you start having sex. Sure. And it's working for a bit. What's the narrative going on in your mind at this point? Random thought X, Y, or Z, and then me having to bring myself back into the room and having to keep doing that. Often I've found myself preoccupied with work. And then I, and then I, because I think, why am I thinking about work right now when I should be present with this person in this room? 
I'm on shaky ground right now. Liftoff has been achieved, but this could disintegrate in midair. I'm almost jealous of the fact that you can think about work when that's happening. <laughs> I'm, I'm, in the worst times, I'm just going, when is this going to stop working? Why hasn't this already failed? This person I'm having sex with, they're, they're just pretending when it was at its worst. You'd start having sex, and then as soon as you'd think, okay, it's gone, it's, it, it, it's gone. Mm. It's, it's a massive part of it is acceptance, of just having to say, okay, this is it's completely fine if this happens. It's, easier said than done. It's easier said than done. And not even saying this is one of my flaws, just being like, this is completely normal. This is my body telling me that something, something isn't right or whatever. When your erections stop working, how have people reacted to it? It's, it's been 99% people being very accepting. It, it became an issue with someone I was seeing semi-regularly. She said to me, is it something I'm doing wrong? And then I felt so immensely guilty because I was finding it hard to communicate how I felt. And I think she took my silence as one of, then it must be something I'm doing wrong here. And it's, that was so far from the truth. I just felt so embarrassed. And I didn't know what to, what to say. I think one, one person has said to me, what's wrong with you? But that's been out of everyone I've ever had sex with. It's only been one person who's ever, and I'll never, <laughs> that's the one that sticks out. But everyone else has been, very very encouraging and then you're in your head just reeling from it but they're thinking like it's just such a such a small thing to them i think you're right i think in the in the vast majority of, of times that it's happened to me people people have just been so nice if they were really cruel about it that would really eat me up but i think the fact that they're so nice about it makes it even more embarrassing i feel even more pathetic sometimes they're not mean enough to you in my head i'm saying to myself the person that she was having sex with regularly beforehand was basically Hank the Rockhard Hunk. Like the way we've been speaking about this for the past however long shows how, f how like insanely self-involved it is. We're talking about sex and we're just talking about the fact, we're just talking about our own performance. At no point when you're like going through this are you thinking about the other person except for this thing that's just expecting greatness from you. Rather than like an experience that you're sharing together, you're just thinking, can this weird little part of my body keep enough blood in it for me to like get through until the end? It's just you. Yeah, absolutely. The whole foundation of our conversation rests upon our inability to perform. The, the punishment that you give to yourself is so much worse than what you get from other people. Just to like double back to when it first happened. I actually really liked the girl. Like I, I was really convinced that I quite liked her. I put some drum and bass on, which was looking back, probably not a great move, but you know, whatever. I have this, I had this burning image in my head for such a long time that just summed up my own failure of her just lying down, looking up at me. She was like, what happened? I really remember the moment of pausing the drum and bass. Mm. It was, it was at that moment, it was the most humili humiliating thing that had ever happened to me. Did you stay in the room together for a while? I think so, but... and but did you try again? Well, yeah, we did, and I seem to remember it was kind of working, and then one of her friends knocked on the door, and then that was it. She left the next day, yeah. and I actually saw her when we, got back to, when we got back to London, because it just didn't work once. When I saw her again in six months, it was, I was immediately sure that it was going to happen to me again, and therefore it did. Mm. And it's so crazy how just like that one blip can just completely throw everything else off. <laughs> Man, we started this podcast out wanting to do it like quite funny, lighthearted. <laughs> So let's talk about happier times. Let's talk about now. I have friends that have that I've spoken to this about. Rock Hard Hank. 
Actually, I'd find it difficult to talk to Rock Hard Hank because he's just he's just so not understanding of what of what it's all about. It's constantly Rock Hard. Just like Hank, can you just like put it away for a sec? He's, he's like, you have to learn. It's like, he's like, no, you, I'm going to keep it out until yours is like mine. <laughs> it's not going to happen, Hank. I think one of the things that's really helped me has been talking to people about it and being honest and open about it. Speaking to it with some of my best friends was really helpful because you can really confide in each other and really be honest about it. But meeting a random guy, this random Aussie bloke, and I, and I, I can't remember how we, how we got onto it. But it can be kind of like a weird, obscure male bonding mechanism. He was just like, oh, mate, I was with this girl I really liked. I just couldn't get it up or something. My, my respect for like a stranger will go up tenfold if they can be vulnerable in front of me and they don't even know me. You think, yeah, good on you for, for sharing with me. Apart from talking to people, talking to other sufferers, how have you moved through it? Lots and lots of experience being in that situation again and again. And then eventually it sort of began to shift it sort of dawned on me of this thing like yeah it actually really isn't that much of a big deal I can I can almost ring fence that that narrative and think that is so irrational and that's completely rooted in ego and that that can also engage in in like all kinds of fantasies when you run so far along in your mind and play out these scenarios and it's like well they haven't even happened yet so what's the point what's the point thinking about them over the past year and a half where people have just been completely okay with it and then I've finally been the last one to think Okay, yeah, it really isn't an issue. What really helped me early on was, before anything happened, it was kind of seeing a girl a bit. And I remember just saying to her, like lying in bed, and it was the first time that anything was about to happen. And I was just completely upfront about it. I just said to her, just so you know, I've had problems with this. The first time we did that, it was majorly difficult. Mm. And then she was just like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Often your partner has a much more, who hasn't got this mindset, has a much more holistic view of sex and just like, it doesn't have to just be penetration, mm-hmm. missionary penetration, mm-hmm. this like test. Now that I realize that, it's opened up more avenues in terms of physical relations with people when I think, okay, fine, I can't get an erection right now, but that doesn't mean that I can't like... Fine, I can't get an erection right now. <laughs> fine, I'm done. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that we can't have fun. Sure. But <laughs> I mean, I just sort of... <laughs> just like go to the zoo. <laughs> does it mean we can't have fun do you think it's made you a more generous lover i think so i mean but i'm not in a good position to uh objectively say how i'd like to think i'm a generous lover maybe this is bad because it's not completely it's kind of slightly self-centered giving but i found it i've been like okay to kind of take as much pressure off as i can i'm gonna really make sure that my my sexual partner is having a great time Hmm. so that when it actually comes down to like any penetrative sex, there's yeah. less pressure on me. Yeah. Which is, I suppose, is a good thing, even if the reasons for it are kind of self-centered. Mm. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Because then I think at the same time, you should think, well, I'm, I'm doing this because I want to do this, not because I'm trying to sort of like, then then you're sort of seeing it like a tally of like, all right, well, she's got, she's had one, then I can have one. Sure. Yeah. And like, I'm probably being a bit simplistic. I mean. But I take your point. I, I don't think of it in those terms now. It's not just like a cold calculation of just like, I'm going to go down on her, she's going to have an orgasm, and then I get to orgasm, and then we can go to sleep. Maybe it hasn't like made me a more generous lover, but it's definitely made me see it in, in a non-binary penetrative way. You were saying that you'd start thinking about work and you'd start thinking about other stuff. What's going on in your head when you're having sex now? I think that's still a, an issue for me. I think one of the biggest problems I have with sex is 
maintaining awareness and being present i think that is a an ongoing thing and i don't think that's something that is going to go away anytime soon it's less so now about me thinking am i going to be able to maintain erection but it's much more like being wrapped up in my own world sex is the most present you can be i think like with another person you, or, or, you, or you should be right right there's a strong requirement there because you can feel it like i've had it before where i've had sex with people and i know they haven't been present and we've talked about it afterwards and they said yeah i was i was, I was distracted people have said that to me as well it just felt like you weren't there so that's one way issue now mm. as, I, as in you're having sex and you're thinking about you're thinking about work or something yeah yeah, and then I can feel it going. And then then it becomes this, oh, God, no, I'm losing it. And then I have to try and... Okay, so when you're, when you're saying, oh, God, no, I'm losing it, what, what do you do to, to not lose it? No, I just lose it. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes. I think if, if, I, if I don't... I guess I sort of just assuage myself by saying, okay, if I lose it, it doesn't matter at all. Not a big problem. Mm. And 90% of the time I do lose it, but then we, <laughs> we have a laugh about it. It's it's very rare that now where I think, okay, I've, I've lost it and it's just not coming back. It's gone. The erection has left the building. What tends to happen with me is there'll be a moment of just like, oh, you fucking, you stupid idiot. You pathetic fuck. And then I'm kind of, okay, no, reestablish some calm here. Mm. It doesn't matter. If it comes back, it comes back. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm trying to kind of learn to respect it. Yeah. It's a manifestation of something that I haven't quite tuned into. Mm. That is very, I find that very difficult to do. Yeah, exactly. It's easy. It's, it's so easy to talk about, oh, you need to accept and not push the thoughts away. But like, ultimately, when that thing happens, when that physical feeling starts to occur or when that voice comes in your head, it's really hard to not immediately push that away because it's, it's, it's not nice. I often find like, okay, I'm accepting it. I'm accepting it. Oh, fuck, I'm not accepting it. And then like, it's going really well. I'm like, okay, this is fine. This is fine. Oh, this is not fine. And then, mm. yeah. I think I see myself now as less of a sexual person than I did before it happened. My narrative about my own sexuality has changed. My, one of my big fears is that I'm going to be like a 48-year-old guy who just doesn't want to have sex anymore. Yeah. Because, because I worry that this betrays something about how sexual I am. Mm -hmm. I say to myself, if, this is, if I'm losing my erection, maybe I'm just not into sex very much. And I think that's one of the scariest thoughts of all. But do you think that's true? I don't know. I, I, I don't want it to be true. I know that I don't want it to be true. I don't know if it is true or not. I remember, I remember, I'd look at a girl that I thought was attractive and it would be so painful because mm. I'd look at her and I'd think, yeah, but even if she wanted to have sex with you, you'd go back to your house and, and it wouldn't work and that would be even worse. And then looking at girls became a thing where I was just, I was just looking at people that I'd like to have sex with and imagining the shame of their disappointment. Mm -hmm. And then I just got to the point where I was like, I'm not even looking at people anymore yeah. because looking at them is too painful. So I just stopped looking at people. I felt like it was like a kind of, it was a clamp on my sexuality. Did, yeah. did that happen to you? I mean, I would define myself if I had to pick a label as probably bi-curious, maybe bisexual. And so I think I felt when I was routinely failing to achieve these erections with, with women, it was around when I was like 19, I thought, okay, then I must be gay because I can't, I can't do this. And then I started getting with guys and then doing stuff with men and having sex. And then, then I didn't have a problem there. Then I started having an issue when I was having sex with men as well. And so then I realized this is not just a thing that's with women, it's with guys as well. So 
but that was bound to happen anyway. I was like curious with guys anyway. It wasn't just because I could get reaction. I thought, all right, well, I have to go see what the other side's saying. But when I came full circle and went, started dating women again, that helped assuage my fears somewhat when I thought, okay, like this happens with everyone. <laughs> There's one common denominator, it's me. Funnily enough, I tried everything as well. I tried, I think, because a lot of the time I wasn't confident enough to have sex sober. And then I thought, okay, maybe it's just because of alcohol that I can't keep an erection. But then when I did on a couple of occasions have sex without alcohol, and it was actually worse, as in the anxiety, then I thought, oh man, this is going to be like a real ongoing problem. I think that was the worst point from 19 to 20. I think mine, yeah, mine was 20, starting university. Because mm. at the beginning of university, everyone, well, it feels like everyone's just bonking all the time. Yeah. One of the difficult things for like a young social being is just this feeling that you're compl- you're like not part of the norm, which I think, which is why sharing is so useful and helpful when you realize that it happens to a lot of people. Yeah. To kind of go back to what you were talking about, and I'm quite ashamed of it actually. When it first happened to me and I, st- I stopped looking at women in a sexual way, I had this, this dawning realization. I was like, oh God, maybe I'm gay. Mm. And I'm like a bit ashamed of my reaction to that because I, I really didn't want to be gay for a while. Yeah, I was like, I, I really don't. I, I don't want that to be the case. I don't think there's the, there's no need to feel ashamed of it. By its very nature, being in the queer community is to be not part of the majority. Simple sort of sociological group dynamics dictate that you'll feel you're not part of the majority. A lot of my queer friends that I know have had that same. We talk a lot about you know queer shame and the idea of self hatred on the basis that you're not part of the group majority. There was an initial sort of like fear that you could be gay. Yeah, it was a fear and it lasted for about two years. I remember being at a music festival, still trying to do MDMA, still not making the obvious link between the fact that it wasn't making me happy, it was making me quite depressed. And just doing that and add that being added to the fact that I was just walking around and I was like, oh, there's all these really fit girls at this festival and they all like go to Leeds Uni, which means they're really cool and I, I don't want to have sex with any of them. Oh God, there's a topless bloke. What do I think about that? Kind of really basic turmoil. And it took me such a long time to accept the fact that that might even be a possibility. Yeah. And I, I remember speaking to a, a, a good friend of ours who's gay. And he was like, well, why don't you just try it? Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I opened myself up to that possibility, the fears of it just dissipated. And I realized that it wasn't actually, even though I'm still completely open to it, it's not actually that I have a desire to do any, anything sexual with men. It's just because it's difficult. And because I was avoiding how difficult it was that I was looking elsewhere, it was just a problem in itself that I had to deal with. Mm. When I speak to people that are kind of still having the, the issue with it, if any a partner that you're with is ever like horrible or humiliating for it, that's equal. That's really fucked up of them. I think that's actually really weird to do that to someone. Yeah, absolutely. It's them. It's their thing. If they If they feel the need to make you feel that you've done something wrong that's something they have to work out for themselves because it has nothing to do with me having said that it is understandable when a lot of the time that it's happened to me people i've been with have immediately taken it as something that they're not doing or something wrong with them is it ever the fact that the person that you're with is just not doing it for you in some way i don't think so i've had sex before it's not been very good but like more often than not, it's just a self-absorbed thing, right? If something goes wrong here, it's all going to be my fault. And it is completely wrapped up in ego because it's just, if I can't do this, if this goes wrong for me, then it's all going to be, then I'm going to feel bad. So if someone asked you the reasons why it happened, what do you think you'd say? It's me 
worry that I'm going to disappoint someone. I have this very specific image of a sexual partner lying down, looking up at me, me kind of above them and just being insufficient and not being able to f fulfill this role. Yeah. You know, like on the back of the Marlboro Light Packet, there's that guy and he's like on those kind of like ash colored bed sheets and he's sort of like in the fetus position and he's curled up and it's like smoking causes erectile dysfunction. I'm like, that's the image I have of what erectile dysfunction is. <laughs> me just sort of like curled up and she's just like, or he is just on the edge of the bed, like, head in hands you know <laughs> staring at a gray wall i think what you you do your strategy is quite good of just saying right at the start like look this is something that i i deal with and it comes up occasionally and uh, i think i should we should just get that out there so that it makes me feel a lot better and i see i don't do that because i think then i've said it and i give it more credence and i sort of reify it that it's actually a good idea I, I might start thanks for your advice i might start doing that no worries and also, I listened to a really good podcast the other day, and this woman was just like, touch your partner's arm for 20 minutes, just like each other's forearms. And that can be like the most sexually engaging thing in the world, mm. if you want it to be. That's actually been a great positive of this whole experience. First of all, I think it's not a negative to realize how vulnerable sex is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Being more sensitive to the difficulties of sex, I think is probably a positive thing in terms of you as a human being. I think another thing that I, I really try to avoid now is porn. Yeah. How do you think porn has affected your virility, Max? So I started watching porn when I was, I think, 13. I was like, eight. <laughs> I started watching porn when I was about five, because I was a legend. I held off as long as I could. Um, <laughs> I, I I remember I, my, my, I took my brother's lap, because I knew he watched porn. I used to... Uh, I used to tell my mum on him. I used to go in and be like, John's watching porn again. And she, I, I wonder now what my mum must have think. She's like, what Like, what do, you, what do you want me to do about it? Your dad's like, good lad, get back upstairs. <laughs> so I took my brother's laptop and I remember the first porn video I watched. And what, what, what was it? So it was a uh, black woman and a white guy. And it was in a hotel room. It was just a very run-of-the-mill, almost quite like vanilla experience. Uh, the, the, the video. My experience was life-changing. So I remember my brother had a file that said, like, work stuff. And he was like, given that he was 15 at the time, I don't think he had too much too much of a vast library of work to contend with. There must have been about 50 or 60 videos on there. So I just picked one at random. All labelled, like, accounts. <laughs> Physical report to that. <laughs> AGM notes. <laughs> so I put that one, and it was just... By chance, that was the one that came out. I think, to be honest, like any video would have done. I don't think there's anything that I would have been like, this doesn't do it for me. I think I kissed a girl when I was 15. But I didn't have sex until I was 19. So that's... So, so how long were you watching porn before before you had sex? Well, six years. It was six years. It's almost like it's over half a decade of just jerking off. I think it massively warped my expectations and image of, of what sex was. The mechanics of jerking off... Like, if you don't, especially if you don't use some kind of lubrication and you're just pumping yourself away, when it comes to actually having sex six years later, like, a vagina feels very different to your hand. And, you know, this is something really interesting I've seen in porn is that now um, I occasionally watch it, but I don't really. I tend to stay away from it as well. When I do watch it, more and more often I see guys are actually finishing themselves off. The woman's not involved. She's She's just standing there or kneeling or whatever and it's like 
that is what I saw for six years. And so I found it really difficult, this idea that, because it was, it's really vulnerable when you're with someone and you're, okay, I'm about to ejaculate. And that's a really vulnerable moment, I feel like. At least it is for me. Giving that almost power or sharing that power or experience with someone is, is difficult, especially when you see these like video after video of a guy just like completely separate from the woman and just finishing himself off, I think. What, do, what has any of this got to do with erectile dysfunction? <laughs> Good question. Like, you're just talking about wanking for 10 minutes. But it has, it obviously has, but like what exactly has it got to do with erectile dysfunction? I think it fits in in that the, the actual physical motion of you yourself jerking off compared to having sex with someone. It's a very different feeling and it can be much more like that website I was talking to you about, Your Brain on Porn. They talk about this idea of like having a strong grip on your penis when you're jerking off. You can desensitize your penis. Then that becomes a massive problem for when you're trying to have sex. Because, because the, the, the grip, for want of a better word, is stronger when you're masturbating. Yeah, no one else is going to grab a hold of your appendage with that much sort of what about the actual what you're actually seeing in the porn i know that when i watch porn now it's me indulging like a fantasy which i know can never materialize it's important to make a distinction between porn and sex i think because when they can get conflated that's when a lot of this these problems can can happen and so like when for example if i watch too much porn and I get lost in these fantasies, I don't want to have sex. Like I'm not interested in having meeting up with people. And when I do, then it's like, I'm really apathetic and it's hard for me to maintain an erection. In the absence of porn, it's much easier for me to maintain an erection. What are your fantasies in porn and why aren't they translatable into real life? Where's the problem? There's always a massive gulf between what we think we can experience and what we actually can experience. And you can't cross that divide. Everything in the scene is crafted towards eroticism. And you and I both know sex is far more like, I mean, you can have really sexy sex, but like awkward things happen. And then, like what? Uh, like, what's the most awkward thing that's happened to you when you've had sex? Uh, the most awkward thing. Can you just tell us about the time that you farted? No. <laughs> Fair enough. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's that? What do you really want to know? I was like mid-sex, farted. <laughs> <laughs> what, did he, what did he do? I just pretended it didn't happen. <laughs> but we both knew. We didn't meant like no one talked about it. Oh, really? Yeah. Did, did you carry on? Yeah. How do you know she wasn't amused? Because she wasn't even like, she would have laughed or said something. She just kind of like looked away. Oh, God. Um... I think for me, just going back to porn, it's completely disposable. This incredible woman is doing whatever you want and she's completely, there's, there isn't, there, as you say, there's like no problems, no blemishes. She's doing whatever you want her to do. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing difficult. There's absolutely nothing difficult. There's no getting to know each other. There's no smell. There's no awkward moments. And it's all about you. I've kind of basically stopped watching porn. Like I, try, I have a few relapses now and again, but I try not to because it's so unhealthy. And it, for me, I'm just like, it's all about my own pleasure. There's nothing shared when I'm watching porn. And then as soon as it's finished, window closed and she's disappeared. Yeah. And it's such a like disposable relationship with any kind of sexual pleasure. Lots of people who like defend it say that as long as you can separate fantasy from real life, 
then you're fine. I just know that I can't. Mm -hmm. The sexual fantasies I have are massively influenced by my years watching porn. Yep. Think about it. How many of our generation of young guys would have had more orgasms with other people than on their own? I've definitely had more orgasms on my own than, than with other people. That's a really interesting metric, yeah. I think, absolutely, I've had way more orgasms by myself than I've had. If I watch porn a few times in, in, like a, in a few days, I don't want to have sex anymore because, like... Yeah, I've got this. You can just live in that fantasy. You'll never have to have, risk any rejection, any disappointment, any awkward moments. It can all be perfectly crafted. Talking about why this is linked to the failure of erection, it means that when you come across those moments of awkwardness or difficulty or like kind of compromise because there's loads of compromise when you're having sex mm -hmm. or like if you take something that someone says in the wrong way it's so easy for like a fragile erection to just be completely be completely flawed oh yeah what about viagra have you ever used it no i've never used it i don't know why i think i just i'm sure if i had had access to it i probably would have tried it but no what about you i got prescribed it i did actually go and speak to a doctor about it he wasn't particularly helpful. He just gave me that Viagra. You know, I was talking about the Aussie bloke earlier. Yeah. He was like, mate, he was like, mate, I use Viagra and now I'm completely dependent on it. If I don't have Viagra, I just, I can't get it hard or something. I was too scared of becoming reliant on it. Mm. So I, I never, I, I had the pills, but I never used them. Okay. I was very scared of someone like, of accidentally forgetting them in a wash bag on like a football trip and like someone coming across them there. Fair enough. So neither of us have any experience with Viagra. No, so respect to anyone that uses it. Do you think you're going to tell your parents about this? Uh, you know what would be weirder? If my dad heard it for his own reasons, independent of me, he came across this podcast <laughs> and he just mentioned it. He just sits you down and he's like, son, you've changed my life. <laughs> your brevity and honesty completely altered my relationship with your mother <laughs> <laughs> oh man well i don't think there's any better place to end this um so max thanks very much thanks for joining me you're most welcome <laughs> That's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening and special thanks to Are We Europe for hosting the show. Hopefully see you next time. Thanks. <laughs>